0: Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So after this curse, Adam looks at his wife and he calls her Eve. But the reason he called her Eve was because she was the mother of all living. Now who remembers the very uh, disastrous result of eating from the tree? It's death. Yet immediately after receiving this curse, he looks at his wife and says, you're the mother of all living. Uh, does anyone have an idea why that is? What put it in Adam's mind that their curse is death, so uh, Eve is the mother of the living? I'll give you a hint. It goes back to the promise of a seed. Uh, although her children are born to die, uh, there will come from her seed life eternal. So uh, they understood more than we can see when we just look at this text. They have an understanding beyond uh, what we understand at this point until we get revelation uh, further along. They understood much more than was revealed to Israel by Moses through the book of Genesis. We see traces that Adam and Eve were much more aware of the specific consequences of the curse but also of the Proto-Evangelium. They understood what this seed was, um, probably much more than Moses understood when he wrote about this, as he was led by the Holy Spirit to write. Uh, Adam understood that although death was introduced by them, um, through his wife's seed, through the seed of Eve, which would be Christ, life is coming. Uh, so the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed to them. All right. So when God said, if you eat from this tree, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. It is the day that they ate of it. Why are they still alive? Who has an idea? Is it against God's... Um, God's justice to let them live, Uh, this verse 21 actually gives us the answer to that. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Where did God get the garments of skin? Uh, This is the first death recorded in scripture. In order to get a garment of skin, something had to die. Adam and Eve would have likely watched this process take place, much like in Genesis or in, yeah, in Genesis 15, when Abraham has to cut these animals in half in order to cut a covenant with God. Um, Adam and Eve would have seen immediately after their um, curse this horrific scene um, that was essentially the cause. Caused by their introduction of sin to the earth um, but also on their behalf they understood now for them to live something had to die something has to take the responsibility and so these animals over which they were given dominion now have to suffer incredible consequences because of us so where we were supposed to be uh, a benevolent Force for animals um, to nurture and care for them. Now um, the responsibility of our death in many ways is put on them. Uh, We'll see this even more in the Mosaic Covenant uh, where animal sacrifice is implemented explicitly for man. And those animal sacrifices never remove sin from man, but they remind man constantly of the penalty of sin but also the promise that um, later in future for them at this point, um, a death will cover for their sins. So they could have put these two ideas together that a seed is coming from the woman to crush the serpent, but also something must die for you to live. Um, So the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and loathed them. So this clothing... Uh, became their daily reminder of sin. Uh, Why we still wear clothes today. It's a very Judeo-Christian idea of wearing clothes. Uh, It covers uh, what we came to know as our shame. Uh, But we see in scripture that it is God's intention that we understand this as a um, covering for our sins. Uh, I was in Vancouver and I saw a, uh, some protest. They were holding up signs saying God doesn't want us to take animal skins for our coats, something to that effect. And I had to laugh because this is the first verse that popped into my head. And I'm like, well, what was Genesis 321 about then? Uh, it is not his original intention, but it is a necessary development from sin that yes, animals will suffer on behalf of men and that is our fault. Uh, that will again become more explicit even in the Noahic covenant uh, when we will now need uh, meat to survive. So not only do we have to wear clothing that comes from these animals, but we will also need to eat them just to survive. Then um, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God uh, God is going to put them out of the garden because of this statement that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he has stretched out his hand to take from the tree of life. Uh, this has become like does not... Uh, does not mean in the Hebrew that man is now of the same material as God, but that man has come to an understanding of good and evil so that he is responsible for defining the difference. Uh, Prior to uh, this verse, or prior to the fall, God made the distinction that all things are good for you, except for this tree. Man replaced God in, that, in his own mind and made his own words the defining factor between good and evil. And uh, you could see the outworking of this even today in our legislature. Uh, we, we decide what morality is for us. That is what men strive to do. Rather than listening to the words of God, um, letting him define good and evil, we take it upon ourselves to define what morality is. Uh, God, again, here is not saying that this is now a good thing. He is saying this is a result of sin. Uh, so our our uh, courts deciding what law is, our legislature deciding what law is, um, the the founders had intended our country to reflect the rights given, us, given to us by God, um, and it has gone far beyond that now to where we are creating rights. That essentially is what is in view here in Genesis 3.22, is the creation of lines between right and wrong, the blurring of those lines. Uh, that is how man has become like God in this statement, that... He takes it upon himself to decide what is good and bad. Uh, So uh, he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, This is highly debated among a lot of people uh, whether or not this tree of life was something that would cause immortality that he had not eaten yet, or whether. It was something that if he continued to eat throughout the duration of his life, he would never die. Um, So something that he needed for eternal sustenance. Uh, That's unclear in scripture. Uh, If it is something that to eat once causes eternal life, um, then it really has to uh, push forward the idea that they were not in the garden very long before they sinned. I mean, if God says this one's eternal life and this one is death, um, that shouldn't be a very tough decision. Um, So it would be very interesting that uh, not only very long after they're put in the garden, they choose to sin, but that they choose to sin before they choose life. So they are choosing death before they choose life. Uh, But in order to not solidify this into their eternal existence, Uh, it's necessary now to remove them from the location of this life-giving tree. Um, Because if you have eternal uh, life with death, um, that basically makes death immortal as well. Very um, kind of a trippy concept, but uh, for God to remove this curse from men, um, death has become necessary. Uh, as a penalty, but also as a transition point um, for all those except for those who are taken into the rapture. Um, to finish up, I th- I'm very sure that this is the last verse here. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So remember, Adam was created outside of the garden and put into the garden. The garden was his castle his throne so we see him removed from the location of kingship he has lost that dominion over earth Uh, that has transferred the title at least to it has transferred to satan and we're going to see pretty early on in uh, chapter five of revelation that tiny scroll uh, that scroll is the title deed to earth that is what was lost um, at this point point. It is given to us in a physical form of a title deed um, in Revelation. Here, it was just a verbal command. Uh, So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So God at this point went to some drastic measures to keep man from returning to the garden. Uh, One of the implications of this is that man if it were not barred, would have attempted to take uh, this fruit from the tree of life, uh, breaking into the garden. Um, Probably could be a great dramatization of that somewhere, but um, he is put a cherubim, one of his angelic beings, with a flaming sword um, turning every direction to guard the tree of life. Um, Just an incredible image if you um, try to visualize this. So man is cast out of the garden and he is put into some new conditions now. So no longer is he in the conditions of the original um, creation. The introduction of sin has caused a new covenant between him and God. Um, And that is what we see in um, the curse. The curse is actually uh, explaining to us what our new condition is. It's not God handing down punishment um, except for death. Uh, it is God explaining to us what our new circumstances is or what our new circumstances are, but also providing for us the promise of a savior. So let's look at the organization of that we do a 47. This was just to drive home. The, the desire is for you. If you do well, Uh, Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and it must be mastered. Um, Sin's desire being for Cain was a malevolent desire. Uh, It's the exact same construction, desire plus the preposition L. Okay. uh, Covenant was a curse and a blessing. Um, 128 was just a blessing. This is a curse and a blessing, a blessing in the form of a curse to the serpent. Um, so that's the Proto-Evangelium that we already discussed. Uh, and we see this top down um, where the, the creation has, where the, the uh, man has become subservient to creation in his own rearranging of um, God's planned order of command. Um, so we see that the snake has usurped the man, creation has usurped uh, the king. Um, we also see that uh, the curse is handed down in that order as well. So now we see that top-down order of creation, the woman to the man. Um, it, it grows in intensity as it gets finally to man where all of creation is concerned, um, but it also Uh, represents the order in which uh, man subjected himself to everything he was supposed to rule over. Uh, So the um, curse to the woman, sorrow, childbirth, and desire for husband, again, whichever way you interpret that. uh, The man, uh, the cause of the curse was his failure under the edemic. So this curse didn't pop out of nowhere. Um, it wasn't random. It was a specific failure under a legal contract between him and God with legally understand, understood and binding language. Um, and this was in two forms, his failure to dominate the creation and his failure to obey uh, in not eating the uh, from the tree. The result was the ground is cursed. Uh, he now has to eat from that cursed ground, and he has added herbs to his diet and grains. Uh, no longer, simple. no, he's added grains, it's no longer just herbs and fruit. And he is to return to dust, that is death. So, the conditions of this death man will die. Uh, the first death is seen in 321 as a covering for man's sin, and we see that life in the form of the tree of life, is blocked from man. The new conditions um, for man is that he is now expelled from Eden, where work will become a toil for him. The purpose of all of this is knowledge of good and evil, and to abstain from evil, um, and to rule over sin. And we see that um, as the responsibility of Cain when he is um, tempted with violence. Um, eventually, um, just like Adam succumbed to creation, uh, Cain will fail to rule over the sin and will succumb to it. So we'll see this constant failing throughout Scripture. Um, In fact, with every single um, instance of it, even David, who came closest to fulfilling any covenants with God, still failed. Um, I mean, his his episode with Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, is very telling, but the difference is he is immediately repentant of what he has done. Um, We didn't see repentance in any words from Adam or Eve. Uh, We don't know. We would assume that later on they had repented, but their first inclination is to point the finger. Why David is a man after God's own heart is because he doesn't attempt to point the finger. Um, And it is actually at that point that um, God promises to make his throne eternal and that the seed will come through David. Um, so we see always we can go back to this, these first two covenants when we're seeing God make new promises, uh, because they all stem from these promises. And these are the promises of God that will finally be fulfilled in Revelation. Uh, the failure uh, under this covenant is yet to come in Genesis 6-5. We'll see that all of the um all of the inclinations of man will become evil. So we see the roots of that with Cain. And by um, chapter six, we see that the entire world has become so evil and corrupt that it is an obvious failure of this covenant with Adam to rule over sin. And the judgment of it will come through the flood. But we're not going to take a look at the flood today. Uh, we, uh, I'll go quickly through this one. Um, Larkin's outline of the Edemic Covenant. We saw his outline of the Edenic Covenant with seven different um, um, seven different points. Uh, this he says uh, there are the curse is fourfold. It's going to be to the serpent, to the woman, to the man, and to creation. Uh, for the for Satan, or see, as to the serpent, the tool of Satan, he is cursed. Uh, As to the woman, her state is changed in three ways. So we see multiplied conception, um, sorrow in her motherhood, and the headship of man. Um, And again, you can see in here that Ephesians 5.22 is referenced. So he's going to other places in scripture as well and including those um, in his outline. Um, As to the man, the ground is cursed for his sake, hard labor to eat and survive, inevitable sorrow, his death. Uh, or his end is death and as to the ground there are mutations which cause thorns to grow uh, at in his day and age i think that was 1919 um, the discovery that um, thorns on a rose actually were just mutated um, leaves that was a new discovery so that probably would have been particular interest to him that um, thorns are caused by mutations in plant growth uh, mutations which would have inevitably come from this curse, that uh, we're not just seeing spiritual changes in man because of sin, but that sin has physical and earthly consequences. Uh, the, the changing of the earth and um, our means of sustenance is one of those changes that comes through sin. Um, And the second part of this curse is that promise, which is the Proto-Evangelium, the promise that a seed of the woman, which is Christ, should bruise the serpent's head, while his seed should bruise Christ's heel. Here is the promise that Christ shall redeem the world from the power of Satan and restore the human race and the earth to their condition before the fall. This covenant reaches until the renovation of the earth by fire. So we see that this covenant is continuing even today um, through that restoration of earth. Uh, Many um, covenant theologians will end this. Actually, they don't see this as a covenant. Uh, They they only see two covenants in scripture. Um, But this would have been completely fulfilled for them at the cross. Uh, However, many of these promises of restored creation have not yet come to pass. Um, So although we can see the greatest piece of this um, as already coming to pass with um, Christ, uh, Christ's work isn't finished. His work on the cross is finished and our salvation is completely paid for, but he has not yet come to redeem that credit that he has put on our behalf. So we are still waiting for that redemption. Um, Philippians 1.6 tells us that, um, that, The process of, let's see, how does that go? Uh, The good work that he has begun in us will continue until the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when he returns for his church. Uh, So that process um, still continues um, until that final victory of Christ. And that final victory of Christ is what we're looking at in the book of Revelation, where Christ is really the center of that entire book. Um, because he is this promised seed that will return us to um, the conditions of Eden that God intended to rule earth uh, physically through a man, and that man is Christ. So hermeneutics is both science and art. As a science, it enunciates principles, investigates the laws of thought and language, and classifies its facts and results. So that is what we just did when we went through and did these observations. We are looking at some of the laws of grammar and the original language. We're understanding what this meant um, historically and grammatically um, for the people uh, who were the first audience of this message. Um, And then we have um, classified the facts and results. So we have gone through and attempted to organize it so that it can be more easily understood uh, much of scripture is written in a narrative form, and um, this allows—it's it, a very um, economic way of communicating because many things can be communicated through uh, narrative, whereas listing all of the ideas to uh, understand it is—it takes quite a bit more um, language. That's why our law codes are so long, um, but you can understand much more easily through a history book exactly what those laws are intended to be about. Uh, And hermeneutics is also an art. It teaches what application these principles should have and establishes their soundness by showing their practical value in elucidation of the more difficult scriptures. The hermeneutical art thus cultivates and establishes a valid exegetical procedure. Um, Exegesis is the Uh, practice of reading out of scripture rather than reading into scripture. So um, to make our observations before we do any interpretation and then application. Um, So we don't come to the scripture with a preconceived notion of what we should be seeing here. Um, We change our thinking based on scripture rather than changing scripture based on our thinking, Um, is essentially what exegesis is. Uh, Exegesis and hermeneutics work together um, for interpretation in our interpretive method uh, is called the literal historical grammatical uh, because we follow this procedure of uh, we have to take into account grammatical rules. We have to take into account the historical context that it was written to. This wasn't written directly to us as a letter. We have to understand who it was written to um, because they were the original people intended to understand it. And we understand it as literal. And literal is sometimes uh, a confusing term here. When we see uh, signs in figurative language, especially in the book of Revelation, uh, or in poetry, or in uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, literal here does not mean that we disregard uh, l- uh, s- literal functions, uh, functions of literature. Uh, if figurative language is understood in scripture, the literal method takes that into account. Um, so we're not going to, uh, when we get to Revelation 1 uh, next week, we're not going to disregard Revelation's interpretation of the stars and the candle stands that Christ is among as literal stars and candles stands because within the context of Revelation 1, um, Christ gives us that interpretation and tells us that these candlestands are the churches and the stars are the angels. So we're not going to um, put our literal understanding of scripture over scripture interpreting itself. So when scripture says this is a symbol, this is figurative language, or it's the natural reading of it is figurative, uh, we're going to take that as figurative. What literal means is that we're not going to read through narrative history, And try to come up with an allegorical interpretation of it, because that then puts the onus of interpretation on the interpreter rather than scripture, uh, where the only authority would be the person interpreting it.